and we're in Matthew 7, uh, from verse 7 down to verse 14. Words of Jesus. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who not, sorry, he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Uh, when I was younger, I feel like singing the Beatles song, so much younger than today. Never needed any more help in any way. Just came to mind. When I was younger, um, I used to help my mum go shopping in Barking, and there was a toy shop there. Um, and uh, whatever we had to uh, go and buy, I always said, oh, you know, we'd just pop into the toy shop. These were in the days of Woolworths and stuff like that. But there was lots of, it's a really good toy shop in, uh, in Barking. And I used to go there and I used to just, you know, look at all the toys and say, well, can I have this? Can I have that? And uh, I was a big fan of Action Man. Anyone of Action Man? Yeah, Eagle Eyes. Remember the Eagle Eyes? Used to be able to move the eyes like that. Some people who were less well informed went for the Million Dollar Man with his bionic eye, but I was, I was retro. We had Action Man, but we did have Eagle Eyes. And I'd get Action Man, and then the next week I'd say, well, I want the helicopter that Action Man goes in. Well, you can't have that. Well, I want it. Well, you can't have it. And then the next day, well, I want the truck and the trailer, you know, you need, and I need a couple more Action Men, because he can't drive them all on his own. And it was one, one, one. Right? And when, when you look at this passage, at first glance, you can be mistaken that God is in the business of giving us whatever we ask for. That's what it says. That's what it says on the, on the initial reading. Ask, and it will be given to you. I want five action men. Now, what's the Bentons? I'll get five of them in my office by the end of the week. <laughs> I don't want them anymore. <laughs> Seek, you will find. Knock, the door will be opened. And in fact, it goes even further, because in the Greek translation, these pleas are what they call in the present sense. So it means keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. Now, for those of us with children, we know how good they are at it. I'm not, I think we lose it a little bit as adults. We had Easter last uh, week, didn't we? You remember Easter? I may have mentioned I didn't get an egg, um, but <laughs> our children did. And, you know, you get those comments, can I have more of the chocolate? No. But I want more of the chocolate. No, why not? Because mum's at it. <laughs> can't have it. <laughs> or the film. You've seen the film Bruce Almighty? Anyone seen the film Bruce Almighty? Uh, where he's uh, playing God. He wants to be God for a day, doesn't he? And, he? and he has to start listening to all the prayers. And then his room's got all these yellow stickies flying in with all the prayers, and he has to answer them. People want to win the lottery. You know, how many people are praying for that? If they look at this passage, they should, it should be given to them. They've prayed for it, they've asked, they've sought, they've knocked. Why is it not given to them? Is it what we should expect? We know, don't we, that not all our prayers get answered in the way that we would like them to. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, I thank God that he is not prepared to do anything that I may chance to ask him. I'm profoundly grateful to God that he did not grant me certain things for which I asked and that he shut certain doors in my face. I mean, I would have married about five different people before Andrew if God had answered all my prayers. (laughs) And they would have all been wrong. You know, he has a plan for me. 
He has a plan for me. It seems like in this passage, our seek not can be for anything. But as ever in the Bible or any kind of literature, but in the word of God, living and active, it's the context that we find the passage in that defines the meaning. And the context... I've got to put this on, I've got a little note in my thing. Where do I point this? There it is. Can you read that? Yeah. No. Okay. Next week you need to move forward. <laughs> it's a ploy of mine. The context defines the meeting. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, has been teaching us about our character, the way we relate to others, the lives we lead. He's taught us about how we must realise our need for God. Blessed are those who, who, who really realise their need for God, who are poor in spirit, to show strength in meekness. He's told us to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to live lives of purity, to be merciful, to be peacemakers, to endure persecution, to make a difference for the kingdom as we go out being sought and light into the world. He's told us about anger and lust, divorce, vows, promises. He's told us about loving our enemies and not retaliating. He spoke about giving to the needy. He spoke about prayer, fasting, uh, the secret life with God showing us that worrying isn't actually good for us and that we shouldn't have a critical way about us. And that's really, just a quick, really quick summary that, that we could have done, I suppose, at the beginning, just spent a week on it, of the Sermon on the Mount. But when we read that list, or when I read that list, and I think probably you as well, you have to get to a point, this is really tough, this is, this is challenging speaking. This is a challenge. Love my enemies. Pray for those who persecute me. Give. So instead of want, 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 it's what, you know, what can I give, give, give? And it's tough and it's a high calling. It's difficult and God's honour is at stake and it's much too hard without the help of God himself and his presence and power in my life or in your life. But the wrong answer, the one that the devil would love to have you say in any area of your life is, well, I can't change. This is just the way I am. You know, whether it's I'm an angry person and you're going to have to put up with it because that's just the way I am. Or I'm tight, that's just the way I am. Or I'm going to criticise, that's just the way I am. It's almost blasphemous, it's saying that God can't change you. And God can. It's wrong to say that's just the way I am. I've always been this way, nobody is going to change me. So therefore, I don't really need God. I don't need to show strength in weakness. I don't care about righteousness. I'm sorry, it's just not me to worry about purity or to be merciful or be the peacemaker or to endure persecution. It's just not me. Salt and light, I'll let everybody else do that. It's just not me. It's not who I am. Anger, lust, divorce, vows, promising, loving our enemies, giving to the needy, prayer, fasting. It's just not me. And you're not going to change me because it's just the way I am. Well, you can change. It's in this context, when we look at the Bible, that Jesus is saying, look, Keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking, and the Holy Spirit starts to change you from within. That's the context this passage is there for. It's not there for, I'd like six Porsches on my drive, and you know, you've said if I ask for them, I'll get them. It's about our character, and it's about God changing us from the inside out. And the enemy would love to tell you you can't that, but God says you can change. In his words, he says you can change with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. To deny that is to call yourself bigger than God because God can change you. And remember the schoolboy phrase, if you've got a little God, then you have big problems. With a big God, they become little problems. And I'd want to tell you this morning, there are areas of your life that you know are not compatible with your true Christian identity. Then you change. 
But it takes a decision. You'll have the help of the Holy Spirit. He changes us from within. I thank God I'm not the person I was before. So does Andrea. But I'm glad he's still moving me forward and he's still changing. He does the same for you. But what he wants from you is that willingness to change. And that's one of my favourite sayings, uh, you know, is, is pray as if it all depends on God and act as if it all depends on you. Someone else said it, I plagiarised it. I'm not sure who it was, someone unimportant. I think it was the Archbishop of Canterbury. The old one, not the one now. I quite like the new one. Um, I've lost, that's not in my notes. I don't know where that came from. So it's this willingness to change, isn't it? Being open to the work of the Spirit in your life. We can sing those songs all day long, and I love worshipping God, I love it. But when we're saying, you know, change me, from, you know, we've got to mean it. And then we've got to cooperate and say, okay, I know what he wants, so I've got to try it. It's going to take some effort on my part. I remember when I was at school, a long time ago, um, I was reasonably intelligent in junior school. When I got to senior school, my main aim in life then was not to be caned, because uh, I used to dish it out quite a lot, and I failed in that. But anyway, uh, maths, uh, I wasn't doing too well in. And uh, I was like sort of around the bottom somewhere. There were three sets of three. I was the bottom of the third set. And, uh, but this teacher took an interest in my work. And, um, and I remember getting sick one week. And he used to turn up at our house. Uh, my mum and dad were in and he'd sort of say, look, if Ian's really ill, uh, no problem, but I'm here to help him. And I remember thinking, that's amazing. This teacher's going to take some time out and help me. I can't believe he's turned up. All I do is disrupt his class. And he spent time with me. And in the end, on the Friday, he said, do you know, Ian, you've got real ability and you can do maths. You've got it in you to do maths. But it's up to you. You've got to change your ways. You've got to make a decision to work hard. And you know, I trusted him. I thought he's made an effort. And I trust him. I'm going to give it a go. And I ended up in the second set of the top. You believe that? It was unbelievable. I've got my O-level. And you would never have thought that. Uh, in the past. But I trust him. God tells us to trust him, that he's died for us and he's changing us. But we've got to cooperate and he can make something really good in us. As we put our trust more and more in God, he changes us into better people and he conforms us to the likeness of his son who, who the scriptures bear witness to. And we should be excited about that. Are you excited about that? That God is changing you. If you're led him, he wants to. But he's saying that you've got to make your own decision as well. You've got to cooperate. And maybe if you're someone here who's never put, never put your faith in God and trusted him with your life, then there's no time like the present. I'd say, how's life going? It's going to be so much better with God in it. Not necessarily materialistically or never bad things happen, but do you really want to be facing life on your own? You don't have to. And this is what this passage is talking about, change. It's about change and making a decision. Matthew puts this exhortation right after all the teaching from Jesus and what it is to be a follower of his. It's like he's saying, I know this is hard. I know it's going to be a bumpy ride. I know you'll sometimes mess up, but I am here to help you. And you, you will eventually make the grade because of him. And the Holy Spirit, they call the paracleti, it means the one who comes alongside, the comforter, the counsellor, the life changer. Isn't this what Jesus talks about when he says, I've come that they may have life in all its fullness? So what do we do? We have to keep asking to be changed. Verses 7 and 8 say that, ask, seek and knock. The present continues to go on asking, seeking, knocking. Work on those areas of my life, Lord. I, I'm not going to say anymore, that's just me. I want to change. I don't want to be bitter. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be critical. I want to be enthusiastic. I want to be positive. I want to serve you. 
I don't ignore you. It's asking, seeking, changing all the time. And like the youngster with the Easter eggs or me embarking in a toy shop, it's persistence. Children are brilliant at persistence. So we're not to give up. Go on asking, seeking, knocking. The promise is it will be given. You will find and the door will be opened and you will be changed for good. Calvin said, nothing is better adapted to excite us to prayer than a full conviction that we should be heard. As we pray these things, God changes us. It's amazing. And I I used to ask the question, can God really change me? I wanted him to, and he did. Luther said he knows that we are timid and shy, that we feel unworthy and unfit to present our needs to God. We think that God is so great and we are so tiny that we do not dare to pray. That is why Christ wants to lure us away from such timid thoughts to remove our doubts and to have us go ahead confidently and boldly. When we realise that God's who we're praying for, he can change you and he will if you let him and cooperate. And why wouldn't he? Verses 9 to 11, why wouldn't God give you these things? If I know what's good for my children, good food, Easter eggs, um, uh, vegetables, fruit and everything else. You know, sometimes they moan, well, I always moan about it, but, but you say, look, it's good for you. Sometimes it's a bit bitter to the taste or you might not enjoy it, but it's good for you. It's good for you. So the teachings of Christ are good for us. If I know what's good for my kids, then God certainly knows what's good for me. And why wouldn't he give us the good things? I want to give my... If my kids said every day, Dad, can I have McDonald's? Now, I'm a bit weak, <laughs> so the probably answers yes. But... For the illustration purposes, um, as a good father, I would say, no, that's bad for you to have that every day this week. We don't have it every day of the week. But it's bad for you. Um, it's not good. Today we're going to have a dinner and there'll be vegetables and we'll have fruit to begin with. This is so unlike my household. This is for illustration purposes. Um, I'm doing good things because I care about their health. Um, and so why wouldn't God say yes if I'm asking him to change our character? In this context, to ask, seeking, knocking, Change my character. I can't, I'm struggling to live up with, to what you've said. Well, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. God will answer those prayers that are God's focus. And the answer is yes, God changes you. And again, we hear Calvin. What could be more exciting when it comes to prayer about our own character and to see God working in our lives? And it may be, thirdly, that you'd be the answer to prayer. Verse 12, the golden rule, do to others what you'd have them do to you. Someone else is praying, can someone forgive me? Well, you could be the one forgiving them. Somebody else could be praying, well, I wish I didn't have so many enemies. You cannot make them your enemies. As as we go about being disciples of Christ, if we live that out, then we're the answer to so many prayers. Jesus said this summing up the law and the prophets. The list again, if if I want people to forgive me, not to be angry at me, to be the peacemaker in my relationships, to speak up for me. If I want that, then somebody else wants that and you can be the answer because you're living these passages out. You can be that answer to their prayer. And when it says do to others what you'd have them do to you, that's a positive action. It's not think about it or do it. Do to others. You imagine what what I want from other people, what I want. Um, And then if I model that and think, right, this is what I would like from other people, so that's how I'm going to treat them. The world would be such a better place. And as Christians, a third of the world, if we really did that, it would make such a difference. You can be the blessing. I remember uh, working on a trading floor and I had this co-worker, and he didn't like me, I don't know why. I think I'm a fairly likeable sort of fellow. I probably moaned about having no Easter eggs, it was probably around that time of year, and he got fed up with me. Um, but anyway, he, wouldn't, he, he deliberately ignored me and um, 
we just didn't really get on. We clashed a bit. I didn't overly like him, uh, to be fair. But I remember hearing and reading this passage, and I thought, well, I've got to, you know, I've got to be the one. He's not a Christian. I am. I've got to be the one who does something about it. So I'll go out of my way to buy him lunch, um, or, you know, run an errand. Or you just popping out Smith in, you know, if I asked him, he'd go, well, no, I'm not doing nothing for you. But I would go out of my way. And you know, I've got to tell you, I felt blessed by it. I felt better for doing it. I felt it was like me and God versus him. It probably wasn't. But I felt good about it. And you know, years later, years later, I left the firm. It never got reconciled. But years later, he went to work for another firm, HSBC, and my friend works there. And he said to me, this is fairly recently, now bearing in mind, that's about 18 years ago, fairly recently, he said, I was speaking to uh, uh, so-and-so, I won't say his name. And uh, I said, oh, yeah. I said, oh, he never liked me. He said, oh, really? He said, he, and he works in New York now, so he'd come over. He said, really? I said, yeah. He said, he spoke really highly of you. And, and I thought, well, why, why did he He said, yeah. He said, uh, so he gave you a bit of a hard time in the past, but he said, you're an all right bloke. So he said, send his regards. Now, I'm remembering that from 18, 19 years ago, and obviously he'd forgotten about it, and it just came to mind when my friend said he knew me. But you can be the blessing to other people. We can respond in a way in spite of who they are because we're the Christians and we're countercultural. And you can pour out the blessing. You can be the blessing. It's always easy to say uh, what other people should be doing. But again, if we look at the context, it follows on from Jesus telling us not to look at the speck in someone else's eye, but the plank in our own. When I look at what, how I want everybody else to treat me, I have to look to myself and think, well, how do I treat them? You know, I'm not perfect, I get it wrong a lot. But I want to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. And that's the question we have to ask ourselves this morning. Are you willing? Are you really up for it to ask and seek and knock and to become and act more like Christ? And maybe there's a part of your character that you need help in. Well, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. I bet right now the Holy Spirit is, is highlighting that to you right now. You'll know what it is. But pray about it. There's people to pray with you after the service. Or get one of the leaders, or get your friend, whoever. Just have it, be, pray about it. Maybe you've been searching for God. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. It's an ongoing, continuous relationship. And then finally, Jesus leads us in this passage to start talking about, well, you've got to make a decision. I'll just press this thing again. That's it. Uh, in verses 13 to 14. This is the true direction in life. We have to make a decision. After laying all these things out, the difficulties, oh, I can't, you know, can I change? Um, or it's not, you know, it's just the way I'm made. If we make a decision, the possibilities are endless. And the decision is about life change. God is a God who changes lives. He's, he, his kingdom breaks into this age. We don't see it as often as I'd like, but we do see it. But he changes lives. I've seen him change so many lives for good and to do good. But the fact is, in this part of the passage, true direction in life, Jesus says you must choose. You must choose. And there's two choices. You've heard, it's like he's saying, you've heard all my teaching, because he's coming towards the end of this great sermon. You've heard all my teaching. You know who I am. What are you going to do about it? Are you really going to listen to these words and put them into actions if you're a follower? And if you're not a follower, are you going to do something about that as well? He demands a decision. It's not enough to sit on the sidelines. It's to follow him or not follow him. There is no middle ground. It's to be a Christian or not. 
And the rest of your life, and in fact your eternity, depends and hangs and rests on the answer you give. For the non-Christian, the people here who don't believe yet, you may have heard the teaching. And I'm asking, well, who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow the world? Because it doesn't give us all the answers we need. So you've got to make a decision for Christ. Is that you either make that decision for him, or the Bible says you're against him. And you don't want to be against him. And for the rest of us, it's a time to recommit to this teaching and say, it's tough, and, and I know you're working on my character, and it is really difficult, but I'm going to keep on asking, seeking, and knocking for the presence and power of your Holy Spirit, and I will cooperate and actively seek out ways to demonstrate you changing me in my life. It's a recommitment to that Christian walk. And it is difficult, but you're not on your own. The paraclete, the one who comes alongside, the counsellor, is right there with you. So firstly, it's clear that Jesus says there are only two choices, two lifestyles. There's no middle ground. You know, we said recently, it's not enough just being a good person um, and doing good things. So of course, Christians should be doing that as an outworking of who we are, but that's not enough. He says there are two roads. One is broad, verse 13, you see it there, and one is narrow, verse 14. Firstly, you've got the wide gate or the broad road. The Greek means broad, spacious, roomy. There is plenty of room to turn away from God and loads of people are doing it. So as much as we say the third of the world are Christians, two-thirds aren't. That's a lot of people. And in that world, there's maybe no boundaries. You can go on that road and you can say, well, I can ignore this part or that part. And I, you know, I'll take the bit that blesses me, but I do, I, the rest of it I'll ignore. You can go on that broad road where there's no boundaries where maybe you don't have to give up anything, it feels good for you, so just do it. Tolerance and permissiveness are the key. A life of ease. I don't need to be concerned about the things of God or the call he has on my life. Does that sum up the world out there at the moment as they turn their back away from God? I think what I'll do, I'm going to be proud and I have a right to be angry and I don't need to love my enemies, I hate them. Full of lust, I'll do whatever I want and I will not forgive. I won't pray because I don't need God. I don't fast because I want my food. I'll retaliate because I'd be, um, I deserve to be able to and I'll be selfish because the world revolves around me. That's the broad road. And many people, unbelievably, are on it. If you imagine a football match, um, some people here would not want to imagine a football match after yesterday, but imagine you did. And uh, you said, well, look, I want to play football, but I'm a bit sick of the referee. Keeps telling us what to do. All these rules and regulations. And the linesman, you know, running up and down, looking stupid with his flag. I don't, let's get rid of the rules. Let's just have fun. Let's just get the ball and, you know, you have 12 people and we'll have 10. Who cares? It's, who needs the rules? And let's not mark out the pitch. We don't need to mark out the pitch. We'll work it out ourselves. Because we wouldn't really foul each other unless we really got fouled. But that would be alright, because that would be justice. In five minutes you'd have chaos, wouldn't you? Oh, you've got more players than us. Uh, the ball was out and it's a corner. No, it wasn't. Your player kicked in. It wasn't out anyway. Then there'd be fights and it would descend into chaos. Bring back the referee and the linesman 
and you have order. And actually, as much as they thought they would enjoy the game more without the referee, they enjoy it more with him. Because there needs to be boundaries. It's the same with God's law and his moral code. When there's no boundaries, no lifestyle choice, no moral code, then people get hurt. Children with no boundaries end up spoilt brats. Adults with no boundaries end up the same. My freedom to drive carelessly means people could get hurt or killed. My freedom to make a choice to steal means someone gets burgled. My freedom to lust means someone else is abused. And two-thirds of the world are on that road. Many people, and it's easy to follow the crowd and say, I don't need God and I want freedom to do whatever I want, and I'm going to make up my own rules. And that road is wide. Alternatively, we have the narrow gate and the narrow road. And it means this is the one with the referee. Because now we've got chaos on the football pitch. Now we're bringing back the referee. It means restricted. Narrow means restricted, confined, compressed. It's more about a life of humility. No unrighteous anger. I'm not going to do that anymore. I don't, I don't want to get down, down, down that road. No more lust or swearing or retaliation or hatred. Instead, I'm going to choose a different way. A life of giving, praying, fasting, living for God, seeking first the kingdom. I'm going to seek to be better in my walk of purity, honesty and integrity. Not only in the church, but in my life and my family. I'm going to try and do to others what I've had them do to me. And life is more difficult because the crowd think you're wrong. And you can expect and you will get persecution. But on this road, Jesus walks with you. He's not over there. The referee is on the pitch and he walks with us. And, you know, that path, mixing my analogies, that is an exciting path. Because it's God himself leading and guiding and inspiring and changing. Uh, we went skiing for the first time uh, in quite a few years uh, this year. And we went over to this place called the Snowdrome. Clues in the name, it's got all this man-made snow. And um, I was, I was, whenever, wherever I go anywhere, I'll try and think of certain illustrations. And I saw, and I've been waiting for ages to say it. And so you've got these children going up on the little lift. Um, Andrea went up on, she's not here, so I can use Andrea quite a bit today. Um, I never did get an Easter egg, just so you know. Um, <laughs> But she went up on the lift. She hadn't skied. She was not a confident skier. And she was going up on the, you know, the pool lift. You sort of put it under your legs and you have to get dragged up this mountain. And um, she had this instructor. She seemed happy about that. I wasn't, wasn't happy. He was younger than me, good looking, good skier, all the things I'm not. Um, anyway, she's following up the mountain. She's been up there a few times. And uh, she, she's, she's going on. She goes, look here, I'm fine. And then fell off. Uh, <laughs> No reason whatsoever to share that, apart from she's not here. <laughs> no. Um, but the kids were following the instructors as well. So they're, take, they're taking the kids up to the thing, and some of them have hardly ever skied. And I, I must admit, when I first saw it's quite high, actually, a bit scary. Um, but what they did, the instructor didn't give them poles, you know, these little kids, low centre of gravity, haven't they? I'll try and do that, I can't do it, I look, I look silly. And they didn't have their poles. And he says, right, now just follow me. And he starts traversing down this mountain. They just followed him, they just got on with it, and followed him. They followed their instructor. And why did they follow him? Because he was confident and he knew what he was doing. So if we follow Christ 
on the, the adventure of our ski slope of life, whatever we call it. He knows what he's doing. And we can have confidence in him. It might be a challenge, but it's exhilarating. It's exciting. This is the Christian life. Challenging, exciting and countercultural. Where do the roads lead? Well, the wide gate, the broad road, verse 13, leads to destruction. You can choose to stay on that. You can choose to stay as you are, but it won't do you any good. And in contrast, the narrow gate, the narrow road, leads, verse 14, to life. On the wide road, there are warning signs. You can ignore them this morning. You can ignore the signs that you need God. You can ignore the signs that you need Christ. Like a car going too fast, ignoring the speed signs and accelerating over a cliff. Jesus here is warning that the wide road, the road without him, leads to destruction, both in this life and, it, and eternity. Pride, anger, unforgiveness, selfishness, all the things that Jesus has been teaching us about will eventually destroy us. The bitterness on people's faces versus a look of freedom or lightness, a glow on those who choose the way of Christ. You've all seen the picture, I think, of the Last Supper. You know who painted that? Leonardo da Vinci. Who said those, aren't you? Well done, Alan. Leonardo da Vinci. Do you know how many years it took him to paint it, clever frogs? Hey? Long time. Four years. Four years to paint it. He needed a model for the face of Jesus. So what he's looking for is a face full of love. Face full of love. And eventually he finds this man called Pietro Bandinelli. Got to read my writing. Who sat there for him. He paints him. Four years later, true story, he needed a face for Judas and he wanted the last of the disciples to be painted. He wanted a man whose face showed suitable stubbornness, suspicion, anger and bitterness. And he found this man and when he'd finished painting he asked his name. He said, I'm Pietro Bandanelli. Same man. Four years down the line and sin had had such a destructive effect on him he hadn't recognised him. If we choose rebellion to God and his ways, eventually it will destroy us. It will affect us. God puts that warning sign after warning sign. We must follow him. His way is truly better for Christians and even non-Christians as they're searching for him. He gives us our consciences, a hunger in our hearts that can only be satisfied by a relationship with God found in Jesus Christ. And everyone here this morning looking at this passage is hearing a warning sign. And the question is, will you ignore it or will you put things right in your life? Whether it's a first-time decision to follow Christ or an ongoing willingness to be changed by him. Because Jesus gives us the alternative destination. The narrow road with its narrow gate that leads to life. Two Greek words for life. The first one is an earthly biological life. The other, which is the one used here, means both life in the physical sense, but also the supernatural life that belongs to God and Christ, which he promises to put in us, both now and for the future. And it's only made possible by one person, Jesus Christ. Who are on the roads? Many on the wide road. The large crowd, you can go with the crowd, it gives a full sense of security. But only a few, the Bible says, enter through the narrow gate. Travel on the narrow road. And we need, as Christians, to make a stand. And perhaps there are some here for the first time. As members of a minority group, We can often feel safer following the crowd at work, at home, in our lives. That's not a reason to stay on that broad road. So what do we do? And the answer, verse 13, is said, enter through the narrow gate. It's a positive choice. Enter. Come in. The broad road with a wide gate, there's many ways to enter. You Maybe you're an atheist or an agnostic or a new ager, a mixture of all of them. 
go, go whatever way you want. Your spirit chances whatever you want. The broad ways, well, it's okay, there's a different road for all. Don't all religions lead to God? But the narrow ways, when Jesus says there's only him, I am the way, the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way, and that's repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. The narrow road, the access is hard because the gate is small, and we can only enter it by one person. And we might live in an age of pluralism, the suggestion of only one way to God is not popular to modern culture, but it's the fact as a Christian. Or maybe we can go our own way rather than God's. You have to decide which way you're going to go. Everyone is, one, is on one of the two roads. There's no third road, road. There's no third gate. If you're on the broad road, you don't have to do anything to stay on it. Just carry on as you are. But if you want to get off, you need to enter the narrow gate. And you might find there's not as many people on that road, but you're not alone. Jesus Christ goes with you. That's the path of true direction in life. We all must make our choice. So whether that's a first time or a recommitment, let's undertake today to be a follower, a true follower of Christ. Let's go on asking, go on seeking, go on knocking for Christ to change us. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock on the door, it will be opened. And instead of using, I'm putting a quote up there, instead of using, well I'm a human, as an excuse to walk in the flesh. Let's use I'm saved as a reason to walk in the spirit. Because that's who we are. We're a spiritual people because we have the Holy Spirit living within us. So go out and be the blessing to everybody as you walk that narrow path. You can do it. Don't listen to lies and say you can't. You can't change or you can't become a Christian or God can't love you. That's a lie. Come through the narrow gate of Christ and you can and you can make such a difference in the world. Let me pray for you, and then I want to hand over uh, to Joan to conclude our worship. Well, I pray we'd hear these words and have them really enter into our hearts, that we can change, that you're in the business of changing people for good, for you, that we have the Spirit of God living in us if we want him to, and he'll change us from the inside out and make us become more like you. But I pray, Lord, we also accept that it takes a decision on our part, that we'll change day by day, asking, seeking, knocking for you to change our character. And your promise is that you'll flood us with your Holy Spirit or help us. Help us to, pr- to pray like it all depends on you and to act as if it all depends on us. And I pray even today and into this week, everybody here will have opportunities to be a blessing to somebody, to be their answer to prayer, to show a countercultural side to their character. We can only do that with the help and presence of your Spirit. So we'll keep on asking, seeking, knocking and fill us more and more and more. In Jesus' name, Amen.